Well, it is uh, great to be here with you. I come from Seattle and bring you greetings from the Seattle area, and it has been so nice to be uh, treated to Texas hospitality. Uh, you are really good at making people feel welcome and just learn about your wonderful church and meet many of you. So uh, I, am, I am delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, and I also should warn you, I am a northerner, and I am from Seattle, so I speak very quickly. So um, I'll endeavor to slow down, but... <laughs> Uh, God, uh, the scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in uh, verse 21b. But whenever, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? So Holy Spirit, teach us from your word how we can follow you more and more. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, Gary Haugen, founder of International Justice Mission, tells a story of being 10 years old and going hiking with his dad and brother on Mount Rainier, near where I live in Seattle. But as they set out on the trail, there was this sign detailing all the terrible things that could happen to you on the trail, and it scared Gary. But of course, he couldn't tell them that. So he said he thought hiking on Mount Rainier was the most boring thing he could imagine, and he'd far rather stay in the visitor center, which he did, while his brother and dad went hiking. And at first, he felt like he'd made the right decision. It was warm in the visitor center, and there were the exhibits to look at. But pretty quickly, he got bored, and the warm air just seemed kind of stale. But when his dad and brother came back, he didn't admit it, said he had a great day in the visitor center. But as he listened to all the interesting things they had seen on the trail, he regretted missing out on a really cool day. And Gary uses that as kind of a metaphor for the American church, which sometimes can be more like a visitor center. Safe, comfortable, but we're missing the adventure, missing the power of Jesus because we're playing it safe. So as I start, I just want to ask you, where might you be playing it safe in your life? Because all of us do. I know people who cliff dive and bungee jump and do daring things like that, but play it safe in other areas. You know, maybe you're playing it safe in career or financially or relationally, not really being open with the people around you. Or in your faith, maybe not responding to some of the things you have an idea God might want you to be doing, but they seem kind of hard, seem kind of uncomfortable, so you're not doing it. And as churches, are we visitor centers or are we out on the trail participating in Jesus' rescue mission to bring good news to the poor, set the oppressed free, reconcile what has been divided? 
And, and this church is doing that. You guys are doing a great job just learning about the Opportunity School and Heal the City and all the things. So this sermon is more of a well-done church than a, you need to change because you guys are out there on the trail making a difference in the world. There's a saying I've heard sometimes from Christians, the safest place to be is the center of God's will. Oh, ick. Right? Like, are you serious? Like, have you read the Bible? Right? I mean, the book of Hebrews says about many of the heroes of the faith in Scripture, they were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? (laughs) Right? Like, following Jesus is the most exciting place to be the most meaningful place to be, the most rewarding place to be, but it is absolutely not safe because Jesus is not safe. And he didn't come to make us safe or to make us nice. He came to make us brave. Now, yes, there are times God protects us, but the idea that God's job is to keep me safe financially, vocationally, relationally, emotionally, has a lot more to do with American culture than with Jesus. Because the American Trinity is success, comfort, pleasure. And one of our idols is safety. I mean, we are the most seat-belted, airbag, bike-helmeted, knee-pad-wearing, hyper-insured, sunscreen-slathering, massively medicated, protected, inoculated generation in history. (laughs) And it has done nothing but make us more afraid. Now, obviously, you don't take risks for risk's risk's sake, Um, but our safety idol wrecks us in a number of ways. First, it's an illusion. Complete safety is not an option. I recently saw an article about freak accidents in the 20th century. So for instance, in London, at the turn of the century, a giant vat of beer exploded, creating a wall of beer 25 feet high. Eight people drowned in beer. And some of you right now are going, well, if you have to go, I mean, that's the way, right? In 1910, a vat of molasses exploded and molasses oozed out into the streets, killing 21 people, 21 apparently very slow people. Molasses, run for your lives, right? On a more serious note, the, uh, where I pastor is a very affluent town. High school there is one of the best in the, in the country, but it is also the most lucrative place in the state to sell drugs. All those kids with a lot of money, a lot of comfort, a lot of safety, longing for an adventure, so they turn to drugs. No matter how much we buckle up, cover up, button up, life has risks, which is what the Apostle Paul is facing in the passage I just read from 2 Corinthians. He's worked hard to serve the Corinthian church, and all they do is criticize and complain. They don't like his sermons. He's not good-looking enough. He's not decisive enough. He's too decisive. And he writes 2 Corinthians to defend himself, but also to to protect the church, because all that kind of complaining can hurt a church. And he lists the hardships he's had. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the, the religious leaders, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was shipwrecked. I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Are you hearing a theme? And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. I always think that last line is kind of funny. I've been in prison. I've been tortured. But worse than all of that is being your pastor. (laughs) 
Paul has been hurt by the Corinthians. He's not safe. There's no such thing. The second problem with our safety idol is it shrinks our lives. So before I was in Seattle, I I used to be a college pastor at Stanford um, uh, in California, and there was a very affluent town nearby called Atherton. Billionaires lived there. And the interns on my staff loved to read the police reports from Atherton in the paper because they were kind of interesting. One person called the police panicked because the dog food bowl she kept in the backyard had been moved, and she was just scared to death by this. Another person called very afraid because there was a car parked in his street. That's the result of seeking safety and comfort. It shrinks our lives. And when your your life is small, when your world is small, everything in it seems big and scary. What kind of a prison is it when you freak out and call the cops because a dog food bowl got moved? Probably by the dog. That's that's a prison. So so my interns made a t-shirt that said, Free Atherton. Because that is the prison. If we play it emotionally safe by not opening up, our friendships and marriages will go stale. If we play it safe and just live the conventional middle-class script, that's fine. But if we don't go beyond that to the adventure with God, we're going to have 2.5 kids and a picket fence, but no adventure. Death by suburb. Safety is not an option. Safe shrinks our lives. And maybe worst of all, safe shrinks God. He becomes my celestial seatbelt rather than the God who loves like a hurricane, whose passion sent him from heaven where it is very safe to earth, to die for us, to reconcile us to himself, and then conquer death by rising from the grave. He is the Lion of Judah. He is not a house cat. And he invites us to join him in his rescue mission to this world to make all things new. And too often the criteria we have in our minds for is this God's will or not for my life is, is it safe? Because God wouldn't want me to not be safe. No, God would want you to live a big, huge life, adventurous life, and that's going to involve some risk and some discomfort. So then how do we get out of it? How do we get out of the safety trap and playing it safe? A couple of thoughts. First, act on Jesus' most frequent promise, which is whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In most frequent promise Jesus makes. In all our efforts to be safe and comfortable and secure, we actually make ourselves miserable and bored. But if we understand the security that Jesus gives us, he conquered death, which means even if we die, we're going to be raised to new life. That's why in the Roman Empire, when there was a plague in the city, everyone, including the doctors, would leave, but the Christians would rush into the city to care for the plague victims, sometimes getting the plague and dying themselves because they they thought, at least I'm going to die doing something meaningful. And they knew that they would be raised to new life in a new body, just as Jesus was. You can't stop folks like that. They're fearless. Death doesn't, death, death doesn't scare them. Even today, when, when Christians are killed for their faith around the world, conversions to Christianity in that town go up. Because people see the Christians' freedom from the fear of death, and they want that. Which is why Christianity grew 40% per decade for 300 years. Fastest growing religion in history in the Roman Empire until it became the state religion and became safe and comfortable, and then people didn't want to go anymore, didn't want anything to do with that. I met a man several years ago who worked as a cargo handler at the Seattle airport, and he said that one time some friends of his were unloading the section where pets are kept, and they found that one of the dogs was dead. So they panicked, this is a true story, they panicked, 
told the owner the dog got rerouted to Phoenix and to come back the next day for the dog. Meanwhile, they went to the animal shelters, found a dog that looked similar to this person's dog to pass it off as this guy's dog. But when they gave the dog to him, the guy said, that's not my dog. And they said, yeah, it's your dog. He just maybe looks a little different, you know, jet lag, you know, it's your dog. And the guy said, no, I know that's not my dog. My dog was dead. I was shipping it back to be buried. (laughs) See, here's the thing. Dead things don't normally come back to life. But Jesus did and says if we follow him, we will too. So we have nothing to fear, not even from death itself, which makes us brave. I think we Christians missed a huge opportunity in the 80s when the AIDS epidemic came along. What if like those early Christians in in Rome, what if we had rushed into care for AIDS patients? Now we didn't because we were playing it safe, physically, afraid of the disease, but theologically, also playing it safe. Many Christians feeling like they didn't want to be seen to approve lifestyles that are often associated with AIDS. Well, here's the thing. You can care for someone without approving 100% of their behavior. What if we had cared first and cared most? I think we'd be in a whole different conversation in our country right now. And instead of Christians being viewed as conventional, boring, mean, judgmental, hypocritical, as they're viewed where I'm from in Seattle... Instead, I think today we Christians would be viewed as the bravest, most daring, most compassionate, most adventurous people in the world as we should be. If we'd lost our lives, we might have found it. Second way to break out of the uh, safety trap is to get weak so that God gets stronger. And here's what I mean. In the passage we read, the Apostle Paul defends himself, but in an odd way. He doesn't boast of the churches he started or the degrees he had. He, He brags about his weakness. And a few verses after the ones that I just read, uh, he talks about a thorn in his flesh. Nobody knows what it is. You know, maybe it was a physical issue. Some people think it was the Corinthians themselves that were the thorn. And he says, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And just as an aside, when a bad thing happens, a thorn, Satan often attaches a message to it, like attaching a document to an email. If it's a relationship problem, maybe the message Satan attaches is nobody likes you. Better play it safe so you don't get hurt. You don't get the promotion. The message he attaches may be, you know what? You're a loser. Better play it safe so you don't screw up. The thorn often doesn't torment us as much as the message does. And the message always tells us to play it safe. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But contrary to how American theology might want to finish that verse... But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And there's two kinds of weaknesses. Weak in terms of the deficiencies we all have, but there's another kind of weakness that comes from doing something so big, so difficult, so daring, so large, that we are too weak to do it. Only God can do it. And when we are out that far on a limb that only God can hold us up, that is when we see the power of God unleashed in our lives. Paul says, I would never have had anything like the courage I have today if I hadn't had that weakness in my life because I saw that God forces even the hardest things to be the eventual servant of my joy, and that has made me brave. Lose your life to find it. Get weaker so that God gets strong by doing daring things that only God can do. And then finally, just want more out of life. Like, do you really want your eulogy to say, well, at least nothing bad happened? 
You know, we, we often pray, I pray this prayer for my kids, keep my kids safe. But do we also pray for our kids, but Lord, also give them enough hurts to keep them human, enough challenges to make sure that they have to hang on to you. And if we're not praying that, otherwise, our kids may look at us at some point and say, let me get this straight, mom and dad. So your grand vision for my life was that nothing would happen, that bad would happen. Wow, aim high, mom and dad. And then I think something deep inside them dies. You know, we preachers have been very good at telling people what, we've, what we're saved from. We're saved from our sins, and thank God for that. But we haven't talked enough about what we are saved for. We've been saved in order to partner with Jesus in his rescue mission to this world, to heal the sick, to make the lonely feel welcome, to set the oppressed free, to reconcile what the world has divided, which is way harder. It will make your life way harder and less comfortable, but also bigger, deeper, richer, better. There's a man in my church, alpha male kind of guy, very successful businessman. He says he enjoys making decisions and he enjoys making sure everyone enjoys the decisions he's made. And he went to church, but really he wasn't into it. He was kind of a nominal Christian. And he would never have said he was playing it safe because he took risks in his business. But in every other area of his life, he was playing it safe, not doing anything that would, that would in, in any way get in the way of his success, his fun, or his comfort. Well, one day he was sitting in church, and in my church, and heard an announcement. There's a, a school that meets in my church for at-risk teens. They were doing a water ski trip, wanted volunteers to help. He thought that sounded fun, so he showed up. And uh, they got there. It was June in Seattle, which is not unlike November in Seattle. So it was raining. So instead of water skiing, they picked up a basketball. And the way this man tells it, Jesus showed up and turned my life upside down. Played basketball with the kids. And at the end of the day, they decided to form a basketball team in this school for at-risk teens. And he would be their coach. Because a lot of these kids, you know, they're at-risk teens. They've not had a chance to play sports. They've had rough home lives, all kinds of trauma in their life. So they set up the team. First day, 14 boys showed up for the team. The second day, four boys showed up for the team. But he kept at it, built the team. And at their first game, their parents showed up to cheer for these kids. These are kids whose parents have never cheered for them ever before. So just that alone was life-changing. But he also discovered there's a lot of life lessons you can teach through basketball. Perseverance, teamwork, integrity, and how to be an honorable man because a lot of these boys did not have dads at home. And he's ended up in jail cells at one in the morning praying with kids who got in trouble with the law, counseling a young man how to treat a woman with respect, and he loves it. He said, it's made my life harder, but so much bigger. The messier, the better. I am on the adventure of my life. Well, at one point, a group of us from my church went to Rwanda because my church built a center for street kids there, a residential educational center for street kids there. And this, this man, this businessman, went on the trip with us. Well, on that trip, we visited a, a Rwandan prison built to hold 1,000 prisoners, but it had 13,000 all stuffed into it, all men. Every single one of them had participated in the genocide in 1994. And we led a worship service there, but in Rwanda, worship always involves dancing. So pretty soon, the prisoners reached up, and you know, I'm looking around, I only see a few unarmed guards, right? And the, the prisoners reach up, pull us down into the crowd, and started dancing with us. And I looked over at this businessman slash basketball coach, and he's, he's out there, you know, successful business executive, he's surrounded by prisoners, he's dancing with murderers, right? And I said, how are you doing? And he said, I'm outside my comfort zone. <laughs> 
But he had this huge smile on his face. And he's still helping those at-risk kids. And yeah, it's made his life harder, but bigger, richer, deeper, better. And he would never want his old life back. And you don't have to go to Rwanda to have an adventure with God. Maybe it's to tutor or coach a kid in a way that helps them become adults of integrity or be part of Heal the City or, or the Opportunity School or the Habitat for Humanity Day that got announced. Lots of opportunities. I know high school kids who deliberately at lunch sit with the kid that nobody wants to sit with, risking some of their social capital so that that person doesn't have to feel alone. Maybe it's a career risk that God is nudging you to take. Maybe it's a financial risk to give more to God's work than that than feels comfortable or safe. I've always found in my personal life, the more I give, the more I seem to have. We as a church in Seattle, we've always found the more we give to missions, the more we seem to have. What is it for you this week? What is that uncomfortable, maybe slightly risky thing God might be nudging you to do? Maybe it's just to listen to a coworker in pain. What is it? Go for it. And discover that God has a bigger adventure for our lives. Jesus didn't come just so that we can go to church. That's good. But he came for so much more. You know, sometimes you'll hear preachers say things like, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going? I actually think Jesus asks a different question. I think Jesus says, what if you don't die tonight? Are you going to live tomorrow? Because see, as Christians, we believe in life after birth. And you're never too old. If you're not dead, you're not done. And you're never too young. God has an adventure for you what is it? I'll close with this. A couple years ago, I had a conversation with my then eight-year-old son that left an impression on me. Um, I was reading a book, uh, and from upstairs, I heard my wife and my son fighting because he had a swim meet the next day, and he didn't want to go to it. So hearing them argue, I kept reading my book. I'm not getting involved in that. Well, that's not safe. I'm just going to stay here in comfort, play it safe, keep reading my book. But then I heard from upstairs, my wife said, Scott, come and deal with your son. Okay, so when you're in your son territory, right? It's bad. So I went to his room, and I just wanted to get back to my book, right? And, and he said, you forced me to do swimming. Not true. And I hate it. He loves it. And I'm not going. And I just wanted to get back to my book, so I said, you know, you made a commitment, you have to go, man up, shake it off, get over it, and other things that turned out not to be very helpful. (laughs) And he started yelling and crying and throwing a fit, and it was really clear a timeout was necessary. So after I took one, (laughs) I prayed and said, Lord, help me here. And I knew he was scared, but that if he would just take the risk to go to the meet, he would have fun. So I went back into his room, and he was curled up in the fetal position, just a little ball, and he said, I'm scared. I don't know anyone at that pool, and I don't want to lose in front of everyone. And I said, you know, all your favorite athletes, Ichiro, Michael Phelps, they get nervous, but they show up. And I said, what would happen if I didn't show up to preach one Sunday just because I was nervous? And he said, well, they would all be mad at you because you wouldn't be there to boss them around and tell them what to do, (laughs) which is an interesting perspective on what I do for a living, right? So I said, here's the deal, bud. Your mom and I don't care who beats you tomorrow or who you beat. All we want is for you to beat the scared that's inside of you because if you don't beat that scared, that scared's going to beat up on you for the rest of your life. And we talked some more, and I prayed for him. And the next day before his first event, I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to beat the scared. And he did his first event, and he came back with a big smile on his face. And he said, Dad, I beat the scared. And then that night I said to him, I am so proud of you. Do you know why? And he said, because I beat the scared. And I said, yes. And then I thought to myself, that and the fact that you took first place in several events. 
but I don't want to be that guy. So leave it there. Here's the point. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means he gives us the power to beat the scared. And as speaker Beth Moore says, the point in life is not to arrive at death safely in a safely preserved body, but to skid in broadside, completely spent, thoroughly used up, shouting, thank you, Jesus, what a ride. Jesus did not say, I have come that you might have safety and comfort and have it in abundance. He No, he came to give us a big, bold, daring, adventurous life, and that will involve risk. But when we get to heaven, Jesus is not going to ask us how many sins we didn't do. How, how good were we at sin management? He'll say, did you do something crazy with the life I gave you? Did you do something daring in my name with the life I gave you? Did we participate in his rescue mission to this world as block by block and office by office and school by school, town by town, we restore what has been broken and take back what the enemy stole from our God, his world and his people until the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And we have nothing to lose and nothing to fear. Not even death can stop us because the grave can't hold us. And because Jesus is on the move. And when Jesus is on the move, and he is always on the move, sleepy people wake up, lukewarm people warm up, dishonest people fess up, depressed people cheer up, angry people make up, gossipers shut up, and soldiers for Jesus stand up. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is mighty to save. So don't stay in the visitor center. Live large, skidding in broadside, shouting, thank you, Jesus, what a ride. So, Jesus, thank you that you call us to a big life. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, show us where we maybe are playing safe. Show us where there's a risk you might want us to take in your name. Show us how we can be part of the adventure of making all things new with you. And Jesus, help us to live that adventurous life so that the world will know that you live because of how you live in us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.